welcome to the fourth episode of the Bees Analytica podcast. On this week's episode, we'll have a look at a 4-2-3-1 and its failings for Derby at the bottom of the league, but for those at the top, Reading and Norwich, who have been really successful with this season. I'm delighted to say I'm joined again by Alfie and another guest, 11 points, one win on Twitter, who is a Derby fan and does a lot of great content over there, so please do go check him out. James, welcome aboard. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, mate. That's all right. I know it's probably the wrong time to bring in Derby and having a chat about them, but we're sure to pick your brains later on about how you feel it's gone this season. Nah, it's a good time, mate. So I thought we'd open it up a bit. We're going to change the format up from the last couple of weeks. But first of all, I want to have a bit of, you know, just a conversation about who would you want to most likely to go to a pub with out of the championship managers? I know you've been thinking about it a lot this week, boys. So I'm interested to see who you've been thinking Okay, um, well, you know, a lot of the championship managers are very good managers, got a lot of experience, but I would love to sit with Neil Warnock, I think. Warnock, I see he was on the list, but I think he'd drink you dry, to be honest. I think he would, but he's got so many years of experience, he'd have so many stories in football. I mean, I, don't, I yeah, I think I would want to talk to him, pick his brains, all of the time he's been involved in football there's got to be some juicy things in there oh definitely and I, I've read his autobiography before and he always came across as just such a nice bloke I know he gets a lot of stick through his dinosaur style but he just genuinely came across as a, a lovely man and it's someone that he cares for and would care about his club and players I don't know about the drinking side though I think he'd be 10 down after an hour and you wouldn't get he'd be on the dance floor what in Wanted to move, but you're not going to get many of those stories out of him. <laughs> I think if you look at the current proper new ones coming in, what do you make of Paunovic? You're taking down spoons. Is he... I mean, he's a very intelligent guy. It would be a great conversation. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I would definitely take Neil Warnock as the first one. Oh, Neil Just Warnock. The stories. Oh, James, what were you thinking? Well... Clearly, I've got a Derby bias. I'd be interested in potentially going for a bite with uh, Gary Rowett, who's now the Millwall manager, just to because yeah. there was a lot of confusion surrounding his uh, surrounding his departure from Derby when he left us for Stoke. Nobody's entirely sure whether he was forced out, but um, or whether he it was he left on his own accord. And he seems like he's a he's a straight talker and. Um, so, yeah, I'd definitely be interested to go for a bite with Gary Rowett. Gary Rowett, yeah. He left into a bit of a cloud, didn't he, with Derby? There was all sorts of issues in the end, wasn't it, coming towards the end? or Yeah, so so he left us for Stoke uh, upon Stoke's relegation, and clearly he was operating under a much tighter budget at Derby than he was offered at Stoke. So, naturally, it was a... Stoke came down as favourites for promotion, and it was naturally a far, uh, you know, a, a more attractive option for a manager. Um, but it seemed to have uh, left a bit of a sour taste in the mouth of the Derby fans because so much talk about it being his dream job. And but I don't think I think Derby fans are over it now, um, mm. and we respect that he's. He's a he's a good manager with a, a defensive style that has you know always brings a positive impact on the team he on the team he manages. Yeah, we've had a chat about it before. We think there's not a better club for the man than Millwall. They just seem to fit so perfectly yeah. with each other. Like I don't know. See, there's plenty of candidates in there for the for me. The Brentford bias with Frank, but I don't think he'd sit there and tell you stories. He'd be on the wine, and just he seems like such a sophisticated bloke that. And I, like, I think someone describes him as Swansea fan as a sociology lecture lecturer. <laughs> he, just, he just comes across as it will be philosophical. It will be about life. And he'd be dissecting your life come the end of it. So I don't. I, I don't think Frank. Oh, hang on, sorry. Sorry, I would have. I was going to say well, but it's a shame. Sorry, I was going to say, uh, Gerard Struber, uh, Barnsley would have been a good pick. Yeah. Lots of 
lots of videos from Barnsley fans survival last year where he was in the pub and seemed to be, <laughs> seemed to be just a top bloke. It was it was shame for the league when he when he left. I think. Oh, definitely. Yeah, we we discussed it quite a bit, and I think we've we fought Barnsley this year potentially top half. I know some uh, who was it. Someone looked at it in the big champ preview, and their underlying numbers were really positive last year. And with a full season, it would have been nice to see what Struber could have done. But better job offer now. He's in the Leipzig or the Red Bull network as well. To be fair to him, so. I think it was probably the obvious choice. And New York's a tad better than Barnsley. I, I have a feeling I would have probably made the same choice if I was in. But I certainly would have. Oh, see, yeah. If you'd asked me last year this sort of question, I think everyone, if, as a football fan, Bielsa, I think you could just sit there for hours listening to him talk football. The bloke has uh, just got uh, such a mind on him. He's incredible. And there's just the sheer level of detail he goes into. But for me this year, I think someone like, I think the best next thing for him is Huddersfield's manager quite right now is his second hand man. I'd love to just see like the sort of detail he's got off Bielsa and what sort of way he wants to play. Is it a carbon copy or is it a, you know, I've learned it now, let me do it on my own. I think he'd be up there as one. I love how we've all gone pretty much British managers, though, out of the perception that the uh, non-British ones, I'd be like, oh, nah, they're not going to have a pint with us. We'll go nice and British and keep it keep it Warnock and your rowets. But I think we'll have a bit of a chat, because why we've got a dar- resident Derby expert with us, or self-proclaimed expert. Absolutely not self-proclaimed. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I thought it'd be nice. We'll have a chat about Barbie then, and we mentioned it in the intro about two, three, one. Me and Alf have done a bit of research with it. Obviously, Reading have been really successful so far this season with it. Are starting to slow down after back-to-back losses. But what do you think it is with Derby at the moment that's causing all these issues? So yeah, so the four-two-three-one was the system that Philip Koku used for the vast majority of games last season. We had a poor start to the season, then started to pick up uh, in January. That coincided with Rooney's arrival, and there was clearly a, a big impact that he brought. But you know, I think it was just generally more to do with things just starting to click in terms of training methods and philosophy brought in by Philip Koku. But this season, we started with the 4-2-3-1 again and had a really poor start to the season, lost our first three, including a 4-0, thumping at home to Blackburn, and he switched it up. He went to a five at the back, sort of more of a 3-4-3, which more recently looks more like a 3-4-1-2 of Josviak joining Waghorn up front and then dragging out to wide areas with Tom Lawrence in behind in that five of the back shape made us look but far more resilient and we started to we've started to not lose games essentially and we we <laughs> always <laughs> helps yeah which sound which is a, a nice lu- yeah it's a nice luxury to have at the moment as a derby fan and before last night's defeat we'd drawn our last three uh one all where we were in winning positions and probably should have won all three. But then last night he reverted back to that four, two, three, one and and we lost. And so that was that wasn't that was an interesting one. Uh definitely a, a decision that's now being questioned by Derby fans. Hmm. We I was having a look through the numbers and stuff of like who actually plays a four, two, three, one. I think it was ten out of twenty four teams played a four, two, three, one, which is the biggest system by a mile. Closely followed by, you mentioned the back five or back three, however you sell it up. Do you think it's the personnel that could be the problem and not the system? Well, yeah, so clearly if a manager has a system in mind, that system does have to suit the squad that he's got at his disposal. So I personally don't like the four-two-three-one because I think we we do have good depth in central midfield areas. We've got lots of talented players, but 
we were playing this sort of pivot of Rooney and, and Bird and I whilst Rooney sort of the player that has an incredible passing range, clearly he's technically, you know, incredible at times, but the physical uh side of things means that in a defensive midfield too, you need a more tenacious, uh physically uh sound player to account for Rooney's uh, uh lack of lack of physicality and lack of speed essentially. Yeah. And so Max Bird wasn't wasn't that player. And so more recently we've switched to a that sort of three at the back shape and we've had Jason Knight and Graham Shinney, Jason Knight the tenacious box to box, who is um complemented well by Shinny, who does the sort of dogged defensive work. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not the 4-2-3-1 in, with Derby's current squad and isn't something I'm necessarily fond of, particularly for, for the for those central midfield areas. Yeah, because something we, we and me and Alfred off-air agreed, it's just Rooney, for all his qualities on the ball, just doesn't have the physicality to keep up the championship. I know I mentioned it to you a little while ago, is the shape just gets thrown all over the place when you're trying to carry an extra man. I know on the ball and in that final third, he's probably one of the better players in the championship. But when trying to defend and playing as that holding two, you're covering so much ground just to protect for the free. It's just ridiculous. I think one of the biggest flaws watching Derby this season is You've gone from having the two most probably athletic fullbacks in the division in Bogle and Lowe to now two twenty-eight year old and a thirty-one year old there, who quite frankly aren't going to have the same athletic qualities of a twenty twenty-one year old. And so that transitional play from when you're all attacking, you've got birds pushed up, you've got foresight, thank you, <laughs> pushing up, and you've you've pushed them everyone up. Rooney's up there and stuff. You then left yourself exposed. I assume Bird's also another one of those that's freight of players is pushed up as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. So, so what I'd say about Derby's fullbacks is, so the I think our first choice, so obviously Bogle and Low left, which yeah. left left us with some questions surrounding who our first choice fullback pairing would be, and it's we've sort of settled on Lee Buchanan at left back and Nathan Byrne at right back and they've actually been pretty sound Nathan Byrne is fair, a fairly good all-round defend uh fullback we got him for peanuts from uh from the Wigan fire sale and um Lee Buchanan's I think what just je- the, the main point with them is they are more defensively sound than Bogle and Lowe but I, I definitely take your point about the sort of transition phase with Bogle and Lowe's athleticism uh, and more attacking, uh, m- more of an attacking impetus. But I don't yeah. think, I don't think in, I don't think the fullback areas have necessarily been Derby's, uh, the, the source of Derby's problems this season. Interesting there. I think that's the big point, is especially on the physical point. Whereas Bogle and Lowe had the intensity to either recover or press up. And squeeze teams in. I think you've not necessarily seen that with Byrne and, and Buckham. Was it Buckham? I've absolutely butchered some of these names. But Maybe I think you can. can. There you go. I think that's the thing is you're not seeing that. They're trying to drop off and defend, as you say. That's all well and good being defensively sound. But when you're transitioning, you've got Bruni trying to recover. You've got um, Wisdom, who sometimes plays out there, who's trying to recover. I just think it's static and slow. And teams are picking off these gaps because these midfield two, like I mentioned earlier, are trying to cover so much ground by carrying Rooney in the attacking, in the defensive phase. There's just so much space, and it's really disorganised the shape-wise. And I think that's causing a lot of issues for Derby. You've lost all your attacking prowess with your fullbacks going forward. Yes, you've maybe a bit more solid, but you're just li- on that transition. It's causing a lot of issues. We can flip this now the other way because obviously you look at the top ends of the championship with Reading currently sat pretty pretty in the top and then Norwich closely following behind who both deploy 4-2-3-1 systems. 
do we think it, what's causing them to be more successful? We know Norwich are obviously a Premier League team last season and have got an incredibly good squad. But Reading don't, really. They've recruited all right, average, I would say. So do you think, Alf, that it's the personnel that's making that system work so well, or is it tactical things that Paunovic is doing? No, it's exactly what James said. It is, we have a squad to play that formation. We have two very good holding midfielders. We have two wide players that like to come inside. A big man up front that can hold the ball up or can go by himself and has pretty good footwork for a big man. So it's the squad. It's, it, it, it definitely requires a squad of players and if you have the squad of players then I think it it, it is a very good formation for it hmm. I think if you look at some of the animations and I'm sure James would chip in with some of the stuff for the derby I know Reading tend to on the left hand side Ajaria tends to roll in as that number 10 almost so it's a bit more lopsided down the right hand side has Derby seen any of that this season or is it typically out and out wingers of make the pitch big get the ball into the box or have we seen different animations this season that we tend to not see? Or have not seen this from Cooper for? So, our build at play last year in the 4-3-3-1 shape was incredibly narrow. We had Chris Martin, who's probably our first-choice striker, who's, in my opinion, one of the best strikers in the league in terms of his general build-up play, hold-up play, and the uh, in, in showing the attributes to drop deep and, and create. And he... He, we see lots of strikers drag out wide when they do that, but he came in centrally. And mm -hmm. we also did, we also had a real lack of natural wingers. So on the left wing, we'd play Tom Lawrence, who I'd suggest is more naturally a number 10, and uh, either Jason Knight is more of a number eight, or Martin Waghorn, who's a striker on the right on the right hand side. So naturally, our build up play resulted, or you know, was pretty central and pretty narrow um, so this season we've uh, we've strengthened in, in the wide areas we've brought in Camille Tuziak from Lech Poznan uh, in Poland and he's been a bright spark recently in a pretty sorted uh, pretty sorted team he uh, creates that width but once again he likes to cut in from the left hand side as a right footer so you're not going to provide much width in terms of getting the ball across the face of goal and as a, as I say I think he likes to sort of join up with Martin Waghorn up, up front so the main width in a three at the back system is provided by the fullbacks but that width certainly is decreasing in the 4-2-3-1 shape for Derby. Hmm. I know typically and this is me purely being stereotypical the Dutch style of football is a lot more static, it's slowed down, it's methodical, build up, create overloads. Would you say it's that is slowing Derby down in the attack is because of this methodical style of play, or has it not been like that at all? Yeah, so as you say, the, the Dutch style of play is much this an, an emphasis on this slow build up play, and that's what we have seen. We've seen a lot of possession for Derby, more so when we do play this four at the back shape because when we revert to a five at the back we tend to, tend to sort of play this low block and be much more defensive but yeah there's a great impetus on a slow build up and we've had quite a lot of possession this season and just haven't done a lot with it The uh, for a team that has a lot of possession a way you can sort of look at how well they're distributing the ball is by how, how much the central midfielders are on the ball but it tends we we see the centre halves at Derby have the lion's share of possession for the outfield players so yeah definitely we've been incredibly inefficient on the ball that, yeah, that comes into the argument of just that very static nature of you're trying to play out and try and build but if your centre halves are the ones on it and no one ahead of them is moving it's like, where's that next step? Where can they go? I think then you lose that, obviously, when you've got Shinny, who you've mentioned, is the legs of that midfield and the more destructive, defensive-minded player. 
do you think then, if you were Kuf, what would you change? Because I'm looking at him thinking maybe drop Rooney in, who's a better ball player, get him on the ball, but then necessarily not got the legs to play a midfield too. What sort of stuff would you change up if you were taking over Derby tomorrow? Well, something I've been an advocate of is a 4-3-3 with a balanced, dynamic midfield three, something that Tony Mowbray at Blackburn seems to have uh, mm. done really well. They've got Bradley Johnson, who, as of late, has offered the defensive capabilities and often dropping back into the uh, into the back four in the defensive phase. And then they've got um, the two midfielders either side. Uh, Lewis Holtby recently has been brilliant, sort of just a balanced midfield three with a defensive-minded player, more of a box-to-box -box and then more of a possession recycle. That's something I think would suit Derby really well. And if you're not going to do that, uh, you need, and if you are going to stick with that 4-2-3-1, you do need someone who can be that defensive dynamism who Shinny, Shinny's been really good at that. But we're going to be looking, hopefully, to see Christian Bielik back in the side soon yeah. enough after a, a lengthy injury. And then, yeah, then we've got we've got other options. Uh, Jason Knight has been one of our better players this season, arguably our best. He's sort of everything you want in a box box midfielder. But if you're like, is he suited to a defensive midfield too? No, he's not. That's not going to play to his strength. So I have been an advocate of a four three three in the past, and it's still something I think would work for us. So you're talking about a change of system here completely. You don't think the squad's anywhere good enough to play the four-two-three-one with the current personnel it has available to it. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would suggest that the midfield is actually somewhere that where we've got really good depth um, and a decent sort of um, array of midfielders in terms of play style, but clearly it hasn't been working with the four-two-three-one. So I think you have to question the system and question the the choice of personnel in that defensive midfield pivot and as we've said before like uh playing Wayne Rooney whilst I would suggest that is a good thing to do um, <laughs> because he still just makes things happen despite yeah. his flaws you have to account for the fact that you're playing a, a 34 34 year old who's essentially lost his legs um and has to well, maybe not lost his legs. That's a bit harsh, but yeah, I was going to say it does. When yeah, did that happen? Has, um, has not. You know, doesn't have the capabilities as as much to track back. So you do have to account for that with the players around him, and there has to be an overload of central midfield areas, which is something that the three at the back can help with. Because if you were to play a player like Christian Bielik in that three at the back, he can then join the midfield and overload overload central areas. Yeah, definitely. I like the former Arsenal. I like as well. Former Arsenal Academy player, isn't he? I remember he, when he was initially linked, he was also linked to the Bees at one point, if I remember correctly, if my memory serves me right. But yeah, that snuck in. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me because he was on loan at Charlton in League One, and clearly Brentford have uh, one of the best uh, recruitment setups in the country, and there's a data-driven, there's a, an emphasis on on the sort of data-driven aspect of it, and. Christian Bielik was a uh, an analytical outlier in, in League One at Charlton, so that wouldn't surprise me at all. He's a good player. So we're coming on to you now. We've not heard much from you. I know we discussed it a little bit about Reading and how they're doing. Do you, obviously, they've slowed down now in recent weeks, and there's two losses on the bounce now, six goals conceded. Is it a case of, right, we've had our moment, now we're dropping off, or do you think Kranovic can keep this good form going that you've started the season with? I think, unfortunately, it's a case of losing our better players. And especially the defensive side is when Liam Moore, our captain, went out of that defence, the organisation not disappeared, but we didn't look half as good as when he was organising the team, pulling full-backs, pulling, pulling our two centre-mids in to mark players in front of him and you know, he was a real leader in that defence and mm -hmm. he got injured against Coventry and then we didn't look half the team defensively as we have done in recent weeks. So the sooner he can come back, the better. But yeah, and then the case of up front, 
unfortunately, we lost our one of, I don't know, I wouldn't say he's our best player, but he, he always makes something happen in Yaku Mate. He's a, he's a presence. He's not a conventional winger. He is a presence out on the right side. And if plan A or plan B is not working, then plan C is try and play off Mate rather than play off the central strikers. Mm-hmm. But when playing, I mean, in the last two games, it was a Luco, Elise, and Semedo. There's not a presence in there that can do something different. They're all the same kind of players. So there wasn't that element of surprise or we couldn't change anything with them. So I, I think once you get back more players, I think it could continue. But f- I, I, I don't know. Stoke have also struggled. So yeah. I, I don't know about Saturday. But after the international break, hopefully we'll be able to get three of our main players back. And then hopefully we can go again. Yeah. But- I, know, I know we've discussed quite a bit about system. Would you then, obviously, with more out the side, revert from the four-two-three-one, which we've discussed in quite a bit of detail? Would you revert to it to make yourself defensively stronger, or would you keep going ahead with the personnel you have? I wouldn't change it. No, I wouldn't change it. I think other players need to step up in his absence and be a leader. Like we we got Michael Morrison from Birmingham um, last season on a free transfer, and that Liam Moore and him have formed a great partnership, but I feel like now it's his turn to really step up and be a vocal point in that defence and organise. Because as, as good as our midfielders are, they can't be looking everywhere all the time and knowing what's around them and knowing everything. So you do need that voice in the central area to organise the team. Mm-hmm. So I think if Morrison steps up, then fingers crossed you know, we could get back to winning ways, but it shouldn't be a long-term injury for more. So hopefully after the international break, the defensive solidity will come back. I think one one big thing you've pointed out was when we watched the Coventry game where you lost 3-2. I think the big thing and the worry why I mentioned or why I mentioned the change of system might be needed is just how overrun you became in them central areas against Coventry. I think Semedo really, really lacked, and it seems to be a similar thing with Derby in the Rooney conundrum of Semedo was playing as a 10, as you like, and just wasn't tracking or been, or wasn't able to track back the runners. So then that forced the central mid or the holding midfielders again just to be overrun because Coventry had that three or two of them, or was it three, I think, in midfield that were then just overloading Reading continually. And I think they really struggled. And I think it's not a case of Reading being found out or a case of, right, that's it, the Reading bubble's over. But there were certainly little tactical things that I think Reading struggled with massively against Coventry. And yeah, Raphael had an uncharacteristically poor game by his amazing standards this season. But I think when you looked at the Paunovic, the way they set up, uh, the split holding midfielders in the attacking phase. I know it tended to notice Rinomota if Evets pushed on down the right. Rinomota would tend to come across and cover him. and Or the same would happen on the left side when Richard goes up. It would be Laurent would step out to cover that left-hand channel. I think then that left you centrally massively exposed. And I think Preston got the better of you last night with a similar sort of thing. Yeah, Especially see, that's the thing again with the um, players that are injured. Another key player is... Ajaria and Mate, uh, as I said, I've already said Mate, and what they give you is energy defensively. Mm-hmm. Whereas bringing in a Luco, he's not the greatest going back. Yeah, I mean we we got ripped off when we brought him for seven point five million, but he, he's, he he's not the best defensively, and he doesn't put in the effort that I feel he should. Whereas with Mate and with Ajaria, they may not be the best defensively, but they always the effort's always there and they're always back in position. Well, I think Tomato, you I mentioned Tomato's effort. Sorry, yeah, no, no, I wouldn't qualify his effort. I just think it's they know the role and the system and what's required of them. I think a player just when they fit a system well, Mate knows he plays more as a traditional up and down winger. Whereas I don't know, unless Luco's one of them luxury players. 
your Roonies, your Ozils, that good going forward and you want them in that final third well not necessarily a Luco all the time but at his peak you want him in that final third area that's where you want him to get on the ball do you think yeah it's that carrying of the team of when a Luco doesn't come back in the same way Mate does that then drags him in the motor out of position that drags the full yeah. back out of position then that means when Semedo doesn't track back that pulls him out of position you know then that space opens up and I just think Coventry and both Preston were ruthless yeah, I think that's one of the flaws with the four-two-three-one is, if you get pulled out of your shape, and if teams do then exploit that space that's opened up, I think you do look vulnerable, because as soon as that screen is bypassed, you're straight onto the back four, and if even if your fullbacks have then pushed up, you're then onto the back two and the goalkeeper, and you'll see a lot of instances, and I think with Reading Derby, you've seen that a lot this season of just disorganised from attacking phase or defensive to attack or attack to defence, that transitional play has been really poor in the 4-2-3-1. And it's one of the flaws of the system in my eyes and from having a, having a look at it. And I know we've focused again on the Redden and Derby element, but we might as well have two people that know what they're talking about more than I do. So you think when personnel come back into that Redding side, do you think it will steady down again of get back to normal levels of and coasting again instead of two quite heavy losses especially to Coventry 3-2 on your travels considering that side hadn't conceded many that's it already yeah I, I think when players come back that as you say know their roles a bit better and know what's expected of them more and in all fairness we're probably a bit more match fit I'd say Aluko doesn't look but then he hasn't played any games this season so that's why he looked a bit leggy and not tracking back as much as you probably would want him to but yeah I uh, again I think it comes down to who's also playing because there's no real leader other than Moore and I would hope Morrison that would mm. shout at players if they're in the wrong position or get them back in position or I imagine it's the same at um, Derby, James. There's, you need that organiser, if you like, the voice that will tell people if they're doing it wrong. Yeah, that's a presence that will clearly be welcomed in any team. Um, I think that's something Derby have lacked this season. We've the biggest leader on the pitch, probably, but the one you'd look for is Curtis Davies. Yep. But then again, he's a player who, uh, due to a lack of legs is much more suited to a three at the back rather than a, a four at the back shape and um but yeah no I completely agree with you. Yeah. An interesting topic on leaders and stuff because that I'm only gonna bring it back because I remember it from the Brentford days, that whole leadership group. And we got absolutely slated for it in the way rugby have it. It's no captain, it's a committee. They talk amongst each other. But it's interesting that, that dynamic that failed quite badly for us and it was Saw it. Smith changed it pretty quickly. I think it was in 2018. But then you bring in someone like Pontus Janssen, who was probably, at the time, one of the best championship centre-backs, and probably still is. And that whole thing of that leadership, that quality of off the pitch he's a leader, on the pitch he's a leader. It's massively interesting, that whole dynamic of how it works in a dressing room with, with a leader. And we talk about, I'm surprised you didn't mention Rooney, considering all of that natural respect he'll have just purely for what he's achieved in his career. Yeah. I know. I mean, no, I, I would definitely, I didn't mention it then, but I would definitely no. involve him in the, uh, that conversation because he, he has a, a player coach role. I mm. think I'd argue that's probably more of a financial fair play trick more than anything. <laughs> but um, I think, uh, it's, I don't know. There's I, nobody really knows how that works. I think maybe, 50% of his, only 50% of his wages, aka the playing wages, contribute towards FFP, but I'm not going to get into that. Um, but yeah, definitely he, he's... And it's I think the thing that's talked about most with Rooney is Derby have got a really good academy. That's something that at least I can shout about. We might be pretty much bottom of the championship, but at least they're on the 23 side of top of the Premier League team, or were top of the Premier League team this week, and that's all that matters, right? Yeah, but, exactly. Who, who cares about the championship? It's pointless exactly. league. Didn't care anyway. But 
yeah, his essentially the point I'm trying to make is his impact on those younger players is mm. going to be second to none. Like you've got to play like Wayne Rooney in the dressing room. I don't think that impact can be um, can, can can be spoken enough uh, of enough really. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's one of the most underrated sides of football is the psychology and the psychological element. And the, imagine going to the academy every day and seeing England's leading top goal scorer, Premier League, one of the top Premier League goal scorers of all time, one of the most capped England's internationals of all time, probably one of the best players to grace the Premier League of all time. And he's there in your academy, coming to watch your sessions or if he is coaching if it's not just an FFP loophole for being a cynic, but he is coaching involved in the grass, that must be some sort of boost as a player. And even as the young lad in the dressing room, you must feel proud as punch stood there playing alongside someone like Wayne Rooney and just in awe almost of him. Especially if you've just come up from the 18s or the 23s for the first time and then you're sat in the dressing room alongside Wayne Rooney. There must be a moment where you just pinch yourself and think, oh wow, this is how he does it, or I should do that. But I think that certainly rubs off on players and let's see if the impact he has on Derby. He certainly had one last January, whether it keeps going. It's what much to be desired right now. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, so he yeah, it's it's I don't think anyone would argue that Wayne Rooney or any Derby fans anyway, would argue that Wayne Rooney being at the club is a bad thing. He's there are flaws to his game, but he's an you know, he is an incredible player still. He almost scored a a, scree- a screamer last night. Actually, it's a real. He smacked the post on a, a half volley from about twenty five yards out, um, mm. and I'm sure Sky would have milked that for weeks if, if that had gone in. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's he's uh, lots of tabloid, certain tabloid newspapers. If yeah, have linked him with a managerial job if Koku uh, was to be sacked and. Who knows what will happen with that? Wouldn't be something I'd necessarily love to see, but yeah. Um, but yeah, you can't you can't underestimate that the impact he has on on the team, and it's something that uh, is sort of a dynamic that has been quite prevalent to Derby for the past couple of years. Because clearly, we had Frank Lampard coming as manager, and then um, Frank even Lampard's after, Derby County. Yeah, or well, Wayne Rooney's Derby County nowadays, apparently. Um, <laughs> But um, and then even under Lampard we had Ashley Cole in, and I would argue that there was an improvement in Bogle's all-round play when Ashley Cole came in. I'd argue that there must have been um, a, a good learning process for him there because that that was Bogle's debut season, and now he's now he's playing in the Premier League. And obviously, I'm not saying that's down to Ashley Cole coming in for six months. Of course, I'm not, but. So you can help yeah, you would learn a lot. You would learn yeah. a lot. Well, on the topic of we've had a look at, at the systems and stuff, I think we move on now to one of the breaking news stories from last last night's game, which Sheffield Wednesday having their five point deduction or twelve point deduction reduced to six. As a Derby fan, are you worried now that it's backs against the wall type stuff or? Do you think there's enough quality to claw away, especially now that Sheffield Wednesday are only one point behind? Yeah, so maybe I'm just being blindly optimistic, but I would, you know, we have to be realistic about where we are, and we are in the relegation zone, and the only reason we're not bottom is because of this point deduction for Wednesday. But, you know, we've got a good squad, bar, you know, I'd argue the only real weakness for our squad is in the the uh, centre forward areas where Martin Wackles a you know fairly average championship striker, but it'll do a job. Um, but I I don't well I think do I think we'll get relegated? No, definitely not. I think hopefully we can sort of claw away towards uh, mid table. But um, it's we've got we've won one game out of our first ten, and that's horrendous. So you do have to be realistic about about the league position. Mm. What do you make of Sheffield Wednesday, Alf? Well, obviously, that 12 points has now been reduced to six. I've, fans will have their f- feelings towards it, but I'm interested to hear what you think. Um, well, I, I, when it gets all released and see why it was reduced, I'll have to have a look at it in more detail. But 
I think there has to be grounds for it to be reduced. Do you know what I mean? There has to be a very something that they didn't pick up on during the initial investigation that they missed or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it was at the time because they felt pressured because obviously at the same time Wigan went into administration and got their points deduction. I don't know if it was because of that they felt like they had to give the 12 point. I don't know how it works um, at the FA. But yeah, I, without knowing more details, I would say you have to say, you know, unfortunately all the other teams in the championship are going to have to just suck it up because you can't do anything. You can't appeal it. You can't. You just got to get on with it and you got to focus on yourselves. As a mm-hmm. fan of Sheffield Wednesday, you're absolutely buzzing because to have that margin reduced and is only a good thing for them. Although I think they probably would have stayed up anyway because of their recent form. Yeah. It, well, it takes a weight off your shoulders, doesn't it, as a club? Yeah, it certainly eases the pressure on Rowett. And before last night, it had lost four in a row and had a really good, good result away or at home to Bournemouth. See, as a football fan, I hate that. They've obviously breached FFP, and their whole and if I remember correctly, and I think it was from the football law, basically their defence was, yeah, we might have done something wrong, but you're being a bit harsh on us, so you need to reduce the punishment. And that was their whole argument to the court of arbitration. Was yeah, brilliant. We accept wrongdoing, slap us on the wrist, but you've done it too hard. And I was a mm. football fan to see someone like Wigan who lost their championship status because of potentially dodgy owners coming in and strip back and just the whole stuff behind that is ridiculous to then lose their championship status to then Sheffield Wednesday mid-season by the way then get six points added back onto their total it's just wrong and if Wigan win their appeal and their punishment gets reduced or whatever and they prove that the owner screwed them over you can't reinstate them into the championship no you can't yeah, no. reinstate and go, actually, sorry, we made a mistake, guys. Barnsley, get down there. And you look at Wigan now, who had to fire sale pretty much the entire squad to make ends meet because the owner screwed them over, and they're now sat near the bottom of League One. How's it fair for Sheffield Wednesday now just to have an extra six points run back on? Because you've put teams like Wickham back in danger, Coventry, who are, don't have the financial powers, and all the Wednesday owner can do now, throw a ton of money at it. And think, you know what, we won't face the repercussions. We'll wait another three, four years until FFP clears itself out. And then we'll take the slap on the wrist to peel it, reduce it, go again. (laughs) I don't know how the EFL can remain consistent here with its ruling of Wigan. I know Wigan's a different situation and it was administration, but they've quite clearly been screwed over by an owner that bought the club a month before and then put them into administration to then now an owner at Sheffield Wednesday who has spent massively beyond his means and excessively beyond their means for the last couple of years in the pursuit of the Premier League. So now they can probably survive again and just go again. It it doesn't seem fair as a a football fan, especially for the lower end clubs. I know you boys will probably have different opinions with the whole stadium stuff and what they did, Hmm. the legality of it and whether it was right or not, as two clubs that both Derby and Reading benefited from the loophole. It's, it's a tricky one. FFP, I think, in its current incarnation, and it's just fundamentally flawed. Unfortunately, you said it there, it was a loophole, and as you said, Reading and Derby both used the loophole. And, you know, if it's there, teams will unfortunately take advantage of it. And that's where it needs to be FFP that needs to be fixed. Whatever they're trying to implement, they need to make it better, make it more sustainable, make it it so that there aren't these loopholes that clubs can use. Unfortunately, in the case of where money talks in football, for every loophole you close, another five or six will open up. And the best lawyers and and the clubs with the most money employ these lawyers to exploit them ruthlessly. And they will continue doing so. And there is no watertight way that FFP works, unfortunately. In the world of finance, it is too complicated to close everything up. 
it's just as a fan it just spoils the game and makes it so unfair in the way that then the rich clubs can just pull away and just end up exploiting the hell out of it because Wickham are a tiny tiny club and now that potentially puts them in jeopardy I know they've had the last three some really good results but that puts them in jeopardy again because there was technically or theoretically sorry two teams that probably would have gone down I don't think Sheffield Wednesday would have had enough to overturn it fully but that's now dragged them straight back into that bottom fight and it would be a shame if Sheffield Wednesday get out of this purely because they were caught breaking the rules they've both spent a a ton of money on lawyers got told off breaking the rules but not as severely as they were initially just yeah a lack of consistency across the board yeah so I think the I think where Wednesday were different with the whole uh, stadium sale saga is I believe they put the stadium sale in the previous financial year um, which is not really surprising given the current Chancery regime which is just yeah. sort of flooded with dodgy stuff essentially I, you know I think that I've heard something or read something about not entirely sure what the, the intricacies of it are but there were lots of um, adv- advertisements around the stadium for a taxi company that doesn't actually exist it's all a, a Chancery uh-huh. owned business which loads of loopholes just to get money into the club and so yeah but I completely take your point about um, jeopardising small clubs like Wickham who you know was already backed against the wall and they've fair play to them they've picked up a couple of wins recently and um, they'll be hoping that they can kick on but yeah the EFL are an organisation that needs either you know it needs reform let's let's face it the whole the whole uh, organisation is just a bit of a joke. Yeah, you talk about the, the loopholes though with the companies. Didn't Derby? Isn't Derby split up into four or five different um, companies? Isn't it Derby Stadium Limited, Derby Merchandise Limited? Isn't that that whole sort of Mel Morris split it all up in order for the accountancy to add up eventually? Yeah. So I, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert on the whole on that side of things, but for Mel Morris is, I mean, he was the first person to do the whole stadium loophole thing and he will continue to, whilst he is owner, he will continue to find these loopholes. Uh, another loophole that he found was the whole 32 red paying the vast majority of Wayne Rooney's wages um, thing. So we've got 32 <laughs> red here and he's Rooney 32 on the back of his shirt. That's a coincidence, surely. That can't have happened intentionally. Yeah. Yeah, massive coincidence, and um, <laughs> and I think what happened there was 32 Red offered their the clubs they were working with. I think there were a few at the time. I think it was Derby, Borough, Leeds, and Preston who had 32 Red on the front of their shirts, and they offered creative ways to find extra funding. I think it was phrased, and so Derby and Mel Morris came up with a star player clause, whatever that means, which essentially. <laughs> Means that they could pay, um, they they could pay for uh, England's all-time top scorers come and play for your club, and you know I personally look. It's I think if anything, Mel Morris, you can criticise it, but if anything, he's just exposing the amount of loopholes in financial fair play and how it is. Uh, oh yeah, one hundred percent. You can take advantage of. See, as a purist of football and as someone that's incredibly fortunate to be supporting a club where our owner has done nothing but look after us and set us up into a position beyond our dreams, I just don't like it at all. You look at, just on the top, I know the topic of the two clubs, of Mel Morris has racked up loss after loss after loss under FFP and then mm-hmm. just clears it all by selling the stadium to himself. And then puts the club in a less stable position. Reading with Dai Young is currently 45, 50 million in the red, but can turn around, he can open the checkbook up, buy a bit of land, make a fake company, sponsor the team in this way, and make it all back. Like, it just is completely unsustainable. And if the clubs then struggle, or the owner, Mel Morris, is bored and like, well, the takeover looking imminent, that leaves the club incredibly vulnerable to potentially not existing anymore 
and especially Reading had that whole thing a while ago where literally everything was split up. The, the Thai owners took something, then the Chinese owners came in, took a little bit, then they sold it to someone else and moved it on. The Russian strip sold a lot of the club. And so you're now looking at a position where Reading don't own, and Derby both don't own their stadiums, are paying ridiculous amounts of rent for a ridiculous amount of times to a company owned by their owner. And if them owners then just walk away because they don't want the money, if they don't care for the club anymore, they've not made the Premier League, it's racking up too many losses, them clubs are now sitting ducks of just potentially losing everything they have. Yeah, so so I think foot money as a whole in football is is a poison, really, isn't it? It's, you can make an argument that it is ruining football in a way. Um if you were to look at the Premier League, something I, I, I would argue isn't talked about enough is the situation at Wolves, where oh, the influence that Georgie Mendes has, and I think I, I don't know the details of what were happening with what was happening with Porto, but I know they were encountering some financial fair play issues, and now uh, Wolves spend a hell of a lot of money on one of their players and. Now all of a sudden those FFP issues have, have just disappear. So yeah, um, Wolves were in a similar boat of fake. It was probably a blessing in disguise they didn't qualify for the Europa League this year because if they had, they would have breached European FFP, which then they didn't qualify for. So then spent sixty odd million in the summer. <laughs> so we, yeah, foot, football and money are a weird game and how it all works and yeah, that whole George Menzo stuff. That he's the owner. He's the agent to, um, who is it, Nuno Sanchez, and most of the playing squad, but also co-owns the football club with a consortium group that he also brokered the deal for, and also then negotiates with himself for every time they bring someone in that's also under his agency. This is a whole issue with <laughs> agents. That's a whole other issue, unfortunately. Anyone else? Yeah. Anyone else see a slight conflict of interest between them at all? Because I've all is. Because <laughs> that seems really not dodgy at all to have one bloke connected to all four parties potentially in a deal. But yeah, as we say, football's all about the money, and it's just a shame that we'll see a lot, a lot of these smaller clubs will struggle because they won't be able to keep up unless someone comes in and throws a ton of money at them. But then that's always a risky business. Hi all, just a quick one from me. Had a few technical issues on this one, but hopefully can return to normal next week. I've thank, Massive thanks again to 11 points, one win for coming on. Please do go check out his channel, it's incredibly good and for Derby related content. Thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, and I'll see you for the next one.